Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. And today, yield curves and is a recession around the corner in the US. One of our listeners wrote to us about yield curves lately, which has been in the news a bit lately, because in the US, the yield curve for treasuries is flattening, perhaps eventually inverting. And guess what? Prior to every recession in the US, that's exactly what's happened. So does that mean all this bravado about the strength of the US is wrong and a recession is on the way? We'll look at that today on the Debunking Economics podcast. So this listener wrote to us and said a recent Financial Post article made a point of repeatedly mentioning that it wasn't understood why yield curve inversion is a reliable predictor of recession. He says, I figured it's because banks borrow short and lend long. So inversion would cause banks to scale back credit creation, leading to a recession. Would you care to weigh in? Uh, I'd appreciate assistance in uh, making sense of this. So let's see what Steve thinks. First of all, though, Steve... Uh, I get, this is uh, uncharted territory for a lot of people. So let's look at the basics of bond yields. They change largely because interest rates change. If I buy bonds, say they're worth $100 each, when the interest rate is 5%, I'll get a, a payment of $5 per year in interest and $100 back when the bond reaches maturity. Normally, of course, I'm not going to hang on to it for the entire duration. I'm going to sell it on at some point. But if the interest rate in the meantime has changed to 10%, then new bonds are going to pay out more. So who's going to want to pay buy my bond, which is paying out only 5%? So I have to sell my bond for less to compensate. So rising interest rates push bond prices down, or more accurately, the prospect of rising interest rates push bond prices down and the other way around. Now, when I sell my bond for less, I also need to factor in that the buyer will still get the $100 when the bond expires, even though he is uh, or she is paying less to me than $100. So what's called the yield to maturity, uh, sometimes called the gross redemption yield, is worked out based on that capital gain or that capital loss plus the uh, plus the interest that's getting paid. It's basically the difference between how much I paid and what I'm going to get repaid when the bond matures and the coupon rate with the actual amount paid based on the interest rate when the original bond was issued. If that's not complicated enough, bonds are offered with different periods of maturity, anything from one month to 30 years in the case of U.S. Treasuries, which are issued by the Federal Reserve, the Fed in the U.S. Now, the pattern over those various periods based on the currently traded yield to maturity rates, that's the movable rate, not the um, the fixed rate at which the bond is issued, but the trading uh, rate is what's called the yield curve. So, Steve, uh, I hope that makes sense to you. Does that sound like an accurate description as you understand it? Except that the yield curve actually is, is, is the just 
devised by deducting the um, uh, interest rate for a particular term, um, uh, maturity versus a, a shorter maturity. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, but yeah, that, but, that's, well, that's what I was saying. So you've got the yeah, you've yeah. basically got the tr- the traded rate for each period from one month to thirty years, basically, and it yeah. changes over time. Now you'd expect short duration bonds would be closer to the current interest rate. And longer term bonds, because you're tying up money for a bit longer, you'd expect a better payback. So, uh, when those bonds are issued, the, the interest paid is going to be a bit more. So if nothing was traded at all, then a natural yield curve would be rising. The longer the period, the higher the interest, which is, uh, uh, which is the normal shape of a, of a bond curve, basically, isn't it? Yeah, that's the usual shape. And what's worrying people at the moment is we're heading back to the stage where it's actually an inverted shape. And that's the, um, that's the reason that one of our um, supporters on Patreon asked us to talk about this a bit. Yeah. Well, and um, so the obvious question is, why would that happen? And the obvious reason, if you're just looking at the theory behind it, is because investors expect the interest rates are going to be cut because then the, the longer bonds are going to have a, uh, a, a, a better rate than the the newer ones being issued so everyone's going to rush for the longer term bonds because they're going to say look you're paying a better interest rate than the ones that are going to be issued so i'm going to get yours instead and that's going to put a squeeze on prices and um, it's going to mean people are prepared to pay more i should say so that compresses the yield so that's that's the logical reason why and yet the fed is telling us no we're on a path to increase interest rates and i think they're going to maintain that path too so um and I think also, it, 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 you know, I, my expectation is the next recession will be caused by the Federal Reserve. Right. Um, so does so, this mean people trading in yields have got a clearer idea than the Fed? Because obviously, I mean, if that is the logical explanation, that means they don't believe the Fed. Um, yeah, but it, it, it's also I mean, a possible explanation. And, you know, this, is, this is not an area of my expertise, by the way. Right. Uh, we and I discussed beforehand. It's something which I, I focus more on the macro uh, you know, dynamics of credit and so on. Everybody, you know, that's, that's what I hammer on about all the time. This one, uh, I have a couple of speculations about it. And one of them is that uh, one of the reasons this might be, uh, when you see an inversion of the yield curve, you, you, know, you, you get a, a higher interest rate for short term than you get for long term. As you've explained, the rate, the interest rate on a bond goes in the opposite direction to its price. So if price is, is uh, falling, then its yield is rising. Yeah. Now, it's, um, if you have people, equally, if you have people buying short term bonds or driving up the price, then the yield will fall. Now, uh, it's possible that the, what we're seeing is, People's short-term term need for liquidity turning up in the prices they're paying for the bonds, and uh, it, it, this you know I, I I haven't worked it out. I can't say that I've got a definitive view here, but it's possible to me that the, the reason that the inversion of the yield curve has been a fairly reliable indicator of recessions in the in the past is that this is reflects people's need for liquidity at some point and being passed through into the bond market. But it, uh, it it become I mean the easiest way of looking at it actually does become a supply and demand question really doesn't it mm. at the end of the day a flow uh, of a flow of supply let's put this in the terms I want people to get used to thinking when you're talking supply and demand don't draw a couple of static curves think about the flow of demand <laughs> yeah, yeah. per year and the flow of supply per year yeah exactly well, and, and the price that people are prepared to pay. Uh, basically yeah. for uh, for bonds of various duration uh, is obviously factored in. Uh, what you think you're going to get from it, but also the supply of them as well. So, I mean, could it, you know, if, if there's a lot of people wanting uh, long-term bonds, 
um, then they are concerned about the future, really. Otherwise, why would they be, why would they be buying bonds? Why wouldn't they be buying money that's going to pay them, uh, put their money in something which is going to pay them back quicker? Uh, if, if people have a need for liquidity, I mean, turning, turning bonds into cash so that you can pay some, uh, short term pressures, then my, you know, conjecture here is that if people wanted to get rid of the most liquid, uh, the best way to, to get that money in a hurry is to sell the most liquid item you hold. If, that, if that's going to be short-term government bonds, you sell them, the supply rises in that sense, the flow of supply at a particular point in time rises. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, so so so, so the, the price will fall, therefore the yield will rise and you can get an inversion. Right. Now I've got this, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, again, I haven't looked at the data. I can't say that that's the definitive answer, but that's the feeling I've got that there are short-term liquidity needs turning up uh, because a range of positions people have got are not working out the way they thought they would and then bang, this is going to drive that uh, that short-term yield up because the supply of bonds is rising. Or it could be a bit of both. It could be that where people are saying, yes, I I need the money now uh, because uh, things are tighter than I expected. Plus, I'm not too keen on the future either. Uh, So uh, so I'm going to be putting money into, you know, I'm going to, there's going to be other people, maybe not the same people. There's other people saying, well, you know, the the future looks risky because the economy is not looking as strong as the Fed's telling us. Could be a, a combination of both those factors, but both of them point to not a particularly healthy economy. And yet that's what Donald Trump and the Fed is telling us is that that's where the U.S. is right now. Yeah, but I think it's an intriguing time to be going through because I, I do think um, whether whether this is the actual signal or not, I do think a recession is on the cards for the states, but largely because of the behaviour of the Fed rather than um, a, a credit situation. If you look at the level of credit, which is the main thing I normally you know, focus upon, as everybody knows, uh, it's still it's stabilised and it's actually running at, at – historically medium to low levels of about 5 to 7% of GDP per year versus the 15 before the crisis hit. Um, there's a rising level of leverage sending up as a result of that, but it's rising fairly gradually. So nothing that normally would make me say, okay, I expect a credit crunch to hit America uh, in the next couple of years. But the thing that does make me think we're going to have a credit crunch is the Federal Reserve's uh, belief that the economy is doing well. Mm. And because of that belief, they're whacking up, they're putting up short-term rates. We know they're going to continue doing it. So the economy is just strong. Uh, Donald Trump is pumping the economy full of money. It's going to the wealthy you don't spend versus rather the poor where it should go to get them spending. But it's still helping boost the economy. And we're looking at something over a 4% rate of growth for the American economy right now. So it's all, you know, all singing, all dancing. And if that also went with people being confident about the future, and not having short-term liquidity needs, then we wouldn't be seeing a yield curve inversion. But we are. Well, another fact, I mean, you mentioned Donald Trump's uh, spending patterns uh, and uh, the fact that he's spending a hell of a lot more. Uh, that obviously means that more, uh, more treasuries are getting issued. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another reason for long-term yields to fall is that there's a shortage of treasuries. This is just enough, not enough being issued. But that is obviously not the case because the Fed is issuing all this uh, extra to, to fund Donald Trump's spending. But a lot of those, are shorter dated bonds so yeah, yeah. This, getting back to the supply yeah. and demand it could simply be a, a reaction to the range of bonds based on these various maturities if they if they and, if they issue them over it, a broader spread they might them over a broader period it, it might it might solve the problem and you've also got the question of what's happening with the quantitative uh yeah the, the qe to quanti- quantitative uh, you need a quantitative tight uh, loosening or tightening 
Um, that's also a question of what are, what maturity bonds they're selling right now. Is that having an impact on the market? And given the volume that the Federal Reserve has accumulated, that's a non-trivial question. Well, they normally buy longer-dated treasuries, don't they? So if they're selling them off. They're selling off. Well, more- actually, they normally they normally buy shorter. When we're involved in the um, in the open market operations that are done to try to maintain the Federal Reserve rate within the band that they've set as their target. And by the way, on that front, uh, for the for one of the very few times in my life, I'm going to be saying. Uh, congratulations to the Reserve Bank of Australia because there's an excellent video they put it about maybe uh, two weeks to six weeks ago explaining how the uh, the band of is is set by the open market operations of the central bank in conjunction with the market to make sure that the the rate that's set by the whether we're talking the RBA in Australia or the Fed Reserve. In, the, in America, it's a very good video explaining the actual mechanics and why they can control um, that the, the range of the of the bond prices at the very very short term. Uh, this is uh, this is a first. You're actually talking up the work of the RBA here. It's actually a second. I've done it once before, and this is for a brilliant <laughs> paper called uh, two banking two 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 uh, two two recession two depressions and one banking crisis. Uh, comparing the 1890s to the 1930s for Australia and pointing out the 1890s was far worse because there was a banking crisis as well as the uh, a depression. Uh, so that's that's twice. <laughs> so let's get back to the end of QE then. So the 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 uh, QE is uh, is is easing. That means more bonds are back in the market. So that's in that's increasing supply. So that should be pushing yeah. prices down which would be pushing yields up and you're and saying, they were trying, you're saying yeah, most of that's happening at the, at the 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 shorter end of the curve and we're talking 30 to billion 50, 30 to 50 billion a month in terms of the scale i mean when they were doing quantitative easing uh, then they were they were buying bonds off the uh, financial sector and they were buying 80 80 billion dollars worth of them per month so roughly a trillion dollars per year now they're selling them back at between 30 and 50 uh, billion per per month, so of the order of uh, three hundred uh, between four hundred and and six hundred uh, billion a trillion billion dollars per year. So a slower rate of tightening than they did the previous easing. But they also were buying a, rather than focusing as, as they do in open market operations on the short end of the spectrum. They were focusing on the long end. They were trying to flatten the yield curve, and they to some extent succeeded. So having we're starting from a relatively flat yield curve. And in the same basis, therefore, what they're doing with the maturity of the bonds they're selling could be having an impact on the market as well. So there's, the other explanation is that, and uh, I'm perhaps being devil's advocate here, that the U.S. economy is doing too well. Because actually, if you look around the world, I mean, the U.S. is, sh- is shining compared to, for example, emerging markets, which are clearly a big risk, uh, Asia, Europe. Uh, Australia, none of those uh, economies are exactly yeah, progressing as as anticipated. Whereas the US, maybe at short term, it probably is, but the US seems to be doing quite well. So doesn't that make it a risky investment anywhere else? So people are buying US bonds because they are safer than, for example, buying anything in emerging markets, whether it's uh, whether it's government bonds or or equities. And so we've got more money flood, flooding into US treasuries. That's been one of the arguments, of course, that the Fed has that it, you know, re- reducing its investment in, in, in bonds, reducing its balance sheet because there's more foreign capital flowing into the country. I think. And they'd be selling the long-term bonds to the, 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 you're more likely to be buying the 10-year bonds than the, than the three-month bonds to do yeah. that. Yeah. So is that, that's got to be a factor in all of this as well, hasn't it? 
Potentially. Uh, again, as that I'm, I'm slightly swimming in murky waters here, given my lack of attention to this issue in the past, uh, which I may have to turn around. But I, but I think that would be another factor as well as you're saying. The American economy is booming compared to the rest of the world. Therefore, people are coming in to buy American uh, assets with the expectation of the of the dollar appreciating, which it's doing. And again. That could be a play, which means you're likely to have more demand for the long-term bonds and the short-term bonds, which could be uh, causing that rate to rise faster than the short rate is rising, even though the Fed is driving up the short end with its changes to the uh, reserve rate. Right. So, I mean, that, and that, I tell you, this is the explanation that's being given by Ben Bernanke, by the way, not that we should believe Ben Bernanke. Well, I because, hey, hang on a second. That's the best contraindicator I've heard yet. <laughs> exactly. Going. Well, I mean, yeah, because he was totally wrong, wasn't he? I mean, before yeah. the, uh, uh, before the, the crisis in 2008, he basically said we should ignore the yield curve because it was doing mm. what it's doing now. And, uh, mm. he, he gave an, all sorts of explanations why we shouldn't be concerned about that. This time he's saying, yeah, it's getting distorted by, uh, quantitative easing in other jurisdictions. Jurisdictions, not the uh, not the U.S. quantitative easing, but the fact that there's QE all around the world. So, in other words, the the, the picture is muddied by international markets. Which, but I mean, that would always be the case, of course. Yeah, and it was the case when he was talking back in uh, 2007 as well. Not that there was any quantitative easing going on, uh, but that you know the, the bond markets are a classic area for international currency plays, much more so than shares are. So, what are we saying? It sounds like we're saying, well, we don't really know, but uh, part of it, it could be that short-term liquidity issue. The second one could be that investors don't believe interest rates will continue to rise. The Fed is saying that they are going to keep on raising interest rates, but actually they've sort of backtracked a little bit as well. You know, we sort of like had these dot points that, the, you know, the dots of the uh, members of the of the, of the the board say how many times they expect the interest rate's going to rise. Um and they sort of give those for this year and for next year. But now they sort of seem to be backtracking a little bit and saying, well, you know, we've got to go gently. You know, we need to look at the data um, because we're not entirely sure that um, things are going to go exactly as planned. And I think part of the reason for that could be this flattening of the yield curve. I Yeah, I mean, the, the, this is definitely something which will be playing on the mind of the Federal Reserve, whether they understand the dynamics or not. They've seen the, the, the empirical uh, relationship between inverted yield curves and sub-recessions in the near future. Uh, so they would be thinking about it. That might be reducing their willingness to raise rates. But for my knowing them as a bunch of neoclassical economists, and the Fed is still very much infected with the neoclassical virus, and say in contrast to the Bank of England or the Bundesbank, uh, where there's a realisation that that model maybe uh, well, it is false. Uh, but in America, they still believe the bloody thing. And in that basis, what went fitting into their dynamic stochastic general equilibrium models, uh, it's telling them that the economy is starting to experience rising inflation. We're finally seeing wage growth turning up. Uh, we're seeing labour shortages. That, that's that's the basis in which they would be, through their models and also through historical experience, expecting an increase in the rate of inflation. And what the the Taylor rule tells them, which is the basic description of how the Fed has reacted to inflation and what it sees as uh, the capacity of the economy in the past, they put up the interest rates twice as fast as they expect inflation to rise. Mm. Now, and they're also, as I said, the, the, you know, there's three numbers that explain uh, near the Fed central bank thinking, two, three, and four. 2% for the uh, expected uh, 
rate, the rate of inflation they'd like to see, 3% for the rate of real growth and 4% for the interest rate. That's, that's their target. So they're yeah. heading, effectively intending to double interest rates uh, and over, you know, I'd say over the next uh, few years. One, Next yeah. one or two years. So now, if, mm. if they do that, then I think we're in for real fun because, of course, that to me will trigger the private sector to go back into deleveraging again because the impact of debt service will rise dramatically given that America's carrying a, a debt, a private debt burden of over 1.5 times GDP. Yeah. Okay, um, but it, it wouldn't explain. Well, I mean, the th- I don't think it explains. Yeah, it doesn't explain what's happening with the, with the interest rates now. No, I think. Yeah, if if I if I was a market participant, I'm looking at thinking, I 100% expect the reserve to put putting up rates, and I 100% expect inflation to become an issue in the short term as well, given the labour shortages that are finally biting. Of course, we know that the participation rate disguises it to some degree, but there definitely is a substantial fall in the unemployment rate. Uh, the employment rates are getting back towards what it was before the crisis hit, and there are people experiencing labour shortages who are starting to bid up wages in America to get workers. Of course, workers aren't demanding wage rises because that's the way demanding you get sacked these days without unions to protect you. But that pressure is coming through, and I expect to see a spike in inflation. So for all those reasons, you wouldn't be expecting an inversion of the yield curve. No, exactly. And look, for all the other reasons that we've given, you know, whether it's uh, foreign money coming in or, you know, your argument that it's uh, the need for short-term liquidity, whatever it is, you'd, they, they may all be contributing factors. But a change in the interest rate, a significant change in the interest rate, is the big influence on, on, uh, on, on the yield curve. Uh, that's got to obliterate almost everything else, hasn't it? Because you're talking, you know, you're talking percentage points changes um, in interest rates. That's really going to be influence how much you are prepared to pay for uh, for existing bonds, which are which are out there in, in the marketplace, offering a lower yield. Yeah, no, I, I, so I mean, I, I think, yeah, to, to me that this is an intriguing. It is an interesting issue, one that I should dive into in more detail, because we are seeing everything. It looking, it was saying, well, they could expect short term rates to be rising. Uh, certainly compared to long-term rates, but in fact... It's going they're, the, they're going the other way. Yeah, to go they're going the, other, the other, way. other way. So, I mean, that has to say people people don't believe the Fed, doesn't it? And if you look back at 2000... Or they're having liquidity uh, yeah. effects, which, which are increasing the supply of the short-term bonds being sold for liquidity reasons. Remind us what happened in 2000, between 2006 and 2008 then, because that is when... And look, the, the Fed always says, their argument is, isn't it? Well, we've got to make sure we beat inflation before it happens. If inflation kicks off, you know, you've got to tame the beast and it's harder than keeping it under control before it starts to, to kick in. So they always try and raise interest rates before inflation starts to, uh, to take off. So Which, the, the, yeah. they always try and be two steps ahead because they don't know. They don't know. So and it, that's certainly what happened in 2006, wasn't it? They were still raising interest rates, even though the economy was was slowing and then all of a sudden had to cut them. Uh, and, uh, and that's obviously very damaging to the economy because they've already done the damage. Oh yeah, well, this is the, this again is why I say it's, it's vitally important not to have people who believe in their classical economic running your economy because, uh, they will treat warning signs on the horizon as, uh, as, 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 as irrelevant. And they've made the classic warning sign they ignore, of course, is the level of private debt. My little analogy was it's like having a, a captain on a, um, on a, an international liner who believes that icebergs are nice fluffy things that you can use to moisturize the deck. 
<laughs> and therefore sales sales full steam ahead at icebergs, mm. uh, which, of course, is what they were doing in 2006 and 2007, putting up the interest rates because so far as they were concerned, the, even though they record the level of private debt, it was irrelevant to the economy. A boom was going on. You had to choke it up before inflation got too high. There was a spike to inflation. It was hitting up towards 5% in 2007, uh, and they put rates up to try to fight that rate of inflation without any idea that there was a credit crunch on the horizon. It hit credit collapsed, and they had to drop rates incredibly dramatically. And at the same time, inflation went from plus 5 to minus 2 over a one-year period. So I, I see us going through a more extreme version of that, in fact. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because you could look at, uh, you could, you can look at bonds and say, you know, people trading these are not normal people. They're, you know, they're, they're the finance sector. They're, um, dealing with money. What's, what's that got to do with us? But of course, they are people who are studying in great detail where they think the economy is going. If they are at odds with what the Fed thinks, um, then that's a, that, that has to be a bit of a concern, doesn't it? And you, if you're going to, you're going to choose who's right and who's wrong, uh, the, uh, the people sitting on the board at the Fed or people making their money from money, uh, you've got to assume that the, the people taking a punt have got, have probably got a clearer idea of where things are heading. Mm, yeah, at the same time, I think it's worth reading the big short on this front. I've, I've forgotten the actual character yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah. But, well, at least uh, a few people there knew where it was all heading. Uh, well, no, not, not, well so as, not so much they knew the heading, what they thought about bond traders, because mm. if you read the book, I've forgotten that particular personality they're talking about, but he was the one who realized that the, the subprimes were just absolute junk and had to collapse at some point. And he turned up trying to sell. Uh, short positions against these bonds to the people in the big short. And yeah. the first reaction was when a bond trader talks to you, check that both your arms are still attached after the conversation uh, <laughs> because they're, they're the most unre- un- un- untrustworthy bastards. On I the didn't, didn't never say, didn't say there was a hint of any charity in them. I'm just oh, saying, no. if you're looking, looking at where they're putting their money or where they're mm. trying to make money from, then, mm. um, you know, you, you've got to assume that uh, uh, that's worth paying some attention to. But look, lo- lo- lots of factors here who knows what's what's happening what is the real cause but it's certainly worth watching over the next few months isn't it to see whether it worsens yeah and just a little just looking at the data right now looking at the 10-year uh, to, to two-year uh, yield curve for the united states on the federal reserve uh, website we might actually whack this so you can put it up in the um in the uh, item on patreon mate but when you look at it what actually happens is yes the yield curve inverts before the crisis but it then rises as the crisis approaches. So in 19, the recession that began in the 1990s, for example, the yield curve was negative uh, in about, looking at this, actually I'll, I'll bring up the exact date, hit the maximum negative point in March 89. The recession was recorded as starting in September of 1990, one and a half years later. Then you take a look at the uh, uh, to the early 2000 recession, that short-lived recession, April 2000, the yield curve is minus 0.45. Uh, the recession is counted as starting in March of 2001. So again, about a 15-month time period. The same story for the 2006 crisis. The yield curve turned negative way back in uh, December 2005, hit its uh, major negative before the crisis at minus 0.1 in December of 2006. The crisis is recorded as starting in December 2007. So it's not saying uh, when we're now look at we're now at the point where the yield curve is down to 0.24 on its current trajectory that that's that means probably by about January 
it'll hit uh, zero or negative if this particular trend keeps up. So that's not saying, uh, let's say January 2019, that's implying uh, that by around about 2020, there'll be a crisis starting. Right. Well, it it may may be, although I might be wrong in saying this, but my understanding is whereas uh, every recession has been preceded by a uh, an inverted yield curve. Not every inverted yield curve has led to a recession. It doesn't always happen. No, um, but in fact, looking at the going back to the look at the go back as far as the data can take you, which again the Fed Reserve. If anybody hasn't used the Fed Reserve uh, St. Louis Fred database, by the way, I highly recommend checking it out. It's really one of the best, um, easiest to use resources to find data and to plot data uh, that exists in the, around the web these days. But looking at that, going back to 1980, um, every recession has been preceded by a negative yep. yield curve. Yep. And any recessions, there's no recession here uh, where the yield curve wasn't negative. We're talking uh, one, two, three, four, five recessions yep. from but- 19... 19- 1976 on, so it's pretty damn reliable. Yeah, but as I say, not every single inversion always leads to recession because there might be other factors at play. And I, 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 and I do wonder, just on closing, by the way, thank you for everyone now. They've got their whole weekend planned. Uh, <laughs> they go, we've got a great weekend of plotting uh, yield curves from uh, mm. for in, in history. You, you, your family's going to love you for it. Get your Excel spreadsheet open and get cracking on it. But uh, but the, the, the role of in, uh, of the international markets has got to be a factor in all of this as well, hasn't it? You know, if you uh, do I buy U.S. Treasuries or do I buy uh, gilts in the U.K. or do I buy, um, uh, uh, you know, bonds in uh, in Europe or, or in emerging markets? All of those have got a factor in. Where's the, you know, where's the best deal? Where's the best return? Uh, they're always going to look at that. It's not, it, it's an interconnected world and you can't look at the United States in isolation. No, but the United States is uh, where the actions are going to be, I think. And again, I think the Federal Reserve is going to lead. And I'm really looking forward to the Federal Reserve causing a recession. The only problem is by the looks of it, it's going to start after Donald Trump's re-election campaign. Yeah. So I would have liked it before, but nonetheless, you can't have everything. Well, you know, I mean, to, to you get, can't always get what you want. Can't always get what you want. can't I, always get what you want. I used to love that. It used to be my favorite song until uh, that song was played at uh, Donald Trump's inauguration. But in defense of Donald Trump, maybe just a final point on all of this he doesn't want to see interest rates go up i mean he's arguing that the fed's doing exactly the wrong thing just as you are you're, as, you're one voice with the president on this it's scary uh, but <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is it doesn't just that it's because the snake oil merchant is selling you crap that's absolutely useless for whatever disease you've got the fact that he spotted the disease is where his ideas are useful right i like that analogy all right mm. very good excellent very good all right we'll catch you again very soon thank you steve you're welcome mate and look, uh, Steve and I, I think, would be the first to admit that when it comes to bond yields and the, the vagaries of the bond markets, we're not experts on this. There will be people who know a lot more, perhaps people who are involved in trading in uh, in bonds or have done a deep analysis of it. Uh, so please feel free to comment if you think we're talking rubbish. Uh, we think there's a, a hint of sense, uh, but we'll be the first to admit that people do know more about this than us. Look, we are on familiar territory next time, though. There's no one knows more about Sydney House prices or Australian house prices than Steve Keane. Uh, we'll be revisiting that next time. And uh, look, the reason for that is because in New Zealand, they have just introduced new legislation that prevents foreign buyers from purchasing established dwellings. And they think that is going to solve the problem of overpriced houses in New Zealand. Will that make any difference or none at all? 
Uh, I think you possibly know the answer, but we'll talk more. It's time to revisit house prices anyway. We'll do that next time on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keen. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for listening. We'll see you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.